WCNC Charlotte, this is Flashpoint. Thanks for joining us here on Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson. This week, Democratic Governor Roy Cooper blasting House Republicans after they laid out their spending plan for the upcoming year. The governor says the GOP focuses more on culture wars than child care, but Republicans in the House are standing firm. Knowing well that Governor Cooper has to sign the budget in order for Medicaid expansion to go into effect. Joining us now, Lincoln County State Representative Jason Sane. He is the House Republican Conference Chair and one of the writers of this year's budget. Mr. Sane, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Ben, thanks for having me on. All right, the governor issued a statement uh, saying about the budget that the House budget fails public schools while injecting culture wars into classrooms, increasing vouchers for unaccountable private schools, giving even more tax breaks to wealthy people and letting child care centers fail when they're needed to help get parents back to work. I ask you for your response. Well, I, I you know, the governor uh, is certainly a poetic uh, as as he forms his opinions on, on our budget. We certainly had opinions on his as well. Uh, his would have broken the bank and, and spent way too much money. Uh, you know, the reality is this is uh, that this is both political posturing on, on both sides. Uh, you know, our job is to craft a budget that's reasonable each year. Uh, that keeps us living within our means and making sure that we take care of the things that we need to take care of. Uh, a lot of it is uh, much of the same things that we've seen uh, that have been entered into the debate for, for years. Uh, the problem this year is the governor has a, a, a less of a chance of, of getting a, a, a veto uh, that's sustainable. Uh, we have a chance at a possible veto override. Because Medicaid expansion is tied to the budget, um, some, some skeptics or cynics might say that, that you all have a, a tremendous amount of leverage over the governor in this, knowing how badly he wants to pass uh, Medicaid expansion to see it goes into uh, effect. Um, are, are you all using that as to your advantage? Oh, sure. I mean, look, this is this is part of the process, uh, you know, and we do know that it's something that the governor's wanted for a long, long time. Uh, I voted against Medicaid expansion, but it, it finally got enough uh, votes to pass the House. Uh, so it's there. It's something he desperately wants. Uh, there's some things that we've wanted over the last several years where he wouldn't budge. Uh, so, you know, using that leverage to, to get some of the things that, that we we think are priorities, I think so, uh, just part of the negotiation and, and getting us to that point. So uh, reality is he, after a, a long, long uh, fight in his tenure as governor, uh, he finally got the, the thing that he wanted the most. And so uh, we're, you know, we've, we've given in on that uh, as, as a House and Senate. Uh, there's just some things that we want as well. Um, uh, recently, a group of Republicans released what would be a, a near total ban on abortion, but the speaker said he didn't think it was going to make much progress. So uh, when are we going to get a look at uh, the alternative proposal from Republicans? I, I think you'll see that very soon. Uh, you know, it's obviously something that, that keeps being talked about. Uh, it's top of mind since the uh, Supreme Court decision. Uh, I imagine that that bill probably looks something at a like 12-week ban. We're at a 20-week ban now in state law, um, you know, at, after after 20 weeks. I, I think probably the number that we land on is somewhere around 12 weeks. Uh, the bill that was was put out there, I mean, everybody, every legislator has a right to, to, to file a bill, um, but I, I can tell you that that's, that one is, is pretty much done on the route just because we don't have enough agreement to get something like that passed, uh, whatever your opinions may be on it. So uh, the speaker was absolutely correct. And I, I think that that is something that that is coming soon. It's, you know, it's a long session. So we will we will get to a lot of big ticket items. That's one that stays at the forefront. And so I would expect we'll see that in, in the coming weeks, probably uh, in the next month or so. 
you've been a big supporter of sports betting, um, the legislation. You recently had an opinion piece in the Charlotte Observer saying if it doesn't pass, North Carolina is just leaving money on the table. Explain. Yeah, well, the reality is their neighbors to the north, Virginia, uh, and over in Tennessee, they have sports betting. And we, we've got data that shows, I mean, hard data that shows that, that people every day uh, drive just across the border, use their mobile device, and play sports bets. Uh, the, since the Supreme Court ruled in 2018 that, that sports betting was legal, uh, other states have already adopted it. So we're, we're really kind of behind. And the reality is when, when our folks go into those other markets and, and spend their money, uh, they're being taxed. And, and those taxes are going to fund schools, they're going to fund teacher raises, they're going to fund uh, roads in, in Virginia and Tennessee. So, um, you know, us, us stopping it was never on the table, right? So because it was already happening, we lose about... Uh, something around $4 billion each year in, in sports betting or sports betting that happens in our state to the tune of $4 billion. Getting a piece of that tax, we estimate for what we pass in the House, would bring us somewhere between uh, 60 and $85 million more million a year into the state coffers. It goes mostly to the general fund. Uh, so it will help fund a lot of the priorities that, that we've talked about in, in this budget and budgets to come. Uh, you've introduced a bill um, looking to legalize happy hour. A lot of folks didn't realize it's not already a thing here in North Carolina. You legally can't have uh, a happy hour as it stands. Uh, I don't think it's made a lot of progress, but, but in general, do you feel like our liquor laws in North Carolina are, are a, a bit antiquated and outdated? Uh, as a matter of fact, that's exactly how I describe them uh, most days. They are antiquated. Uh, you know, we, we traditional, you know, Bible Belt, uh, south kind of mentality of, of against liquor uh that we have since moved past that uh whatever your personal opinions may be um you know people have moved into this state from all around they're very shocked to find out that happy hour is not an actual thing um that that you know in states that they're coming from they do have it uh, it's not meant to encourage uh you know binge drinking or anything like that it's really meant to encourage uh, people getting into the, the restaurants that, that also offer uh, liquor and, and you know, mixed drinks. And, and so getting them in there so that they're, they're spending money in those restaurants and getting their meal and, and moving on. It's it's meant to be at an earlier uh, time of the day. So it's not meant to to encourage, um, you know, excessiveness. But but it is a tool that, that those proprietors can use uh, to get people into their business. And uh, like I say, once once it became a, a topic of the, of the day, uh, I, we got a lot of phone calls, a lot of emails into our office saying, oh, we, we didn't realize that, that that wasn't legal in North Carolina. We just thought that they weren't offering it. Uh, so I, I think it's something that society has kind of moved past, uh, you know, from, from 20 and 30 years ago. Uh, we, we've seen that with some of the other reforms that we've passed in alcohol. Society doesn't fall into decay. Society doesn't, um, you know, walk into mass chaos. Uh, it's just something I think that would be really just looking at updating and, and, and looking at the regulations that would give us a put us more in tune with other states. Your, your party is filled with um, free market conservatives and also religious conservatives all under one umbrella. Um, with that in mind, and if you're a supporter of free markets, I mean, do you think the state should still be in the business of running liquor stores? Well, if, if I had my way, it could be king for a day. I, that we would privatize the whole industry. I, I you know, I, I think that's something that that I would like to see. I think we see it in other states. There's, uh, there's, there's other ways to to do this, but that's not the reality. That's not something that's going to pass either house um, in in the short run. So I think in the meantime, we have to look at reforms like we're looking at uh, and kind of, uh, you know, you know, 
three and a half yards each time and, and making progress on those things. So, um, yeah, as you correctly point out, we've got folks, uh, you know, really on the far right and far left who would who would not want to see that. So uh, getting getting uh, that, that, that magic number, getting majority uh, really points more toward smaller reforms in, in the in the meantime. Nine years after our first interview here on Flashpoint, Jason Sane, <laughs> representative of uh, Lincoln County. Uh, Mr. Sane, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Ben, thank you so much. All right, take care. More Flashpoint okay. after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. It's not just a Queen City dealing with rising housing costs, transportation issues, and safety. Just west of us, over I-45, Gastonia going through some of these same challenges. Joining us now is the mayor of Gastonia, Walker Reed. Mayor, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. You're welcome. Glad to be a part of it. Yeah, several things we want to talk to you about. I, I want to start, though, with, with what's been making news, um, really here in Charlotte, but across the greater Charlotte area. Um, you're on the Metropolitan Transit Commission, um, and I know you are aware that, that, that there are a series of, of problems at CATS. In, in your view, what needs to happen at CATS to regain the trust of its riders and of people like yourself and, and regional stakeholders as well? Well, let me let me put emphasis on that I'm a non-voting member, even though I'm representing Gaston County on the MTC. Um, I think the things that are taking place now will change the management, um, being more um, involved with what's going on has is making a difference. Um, holding people accountable is definitely making a difference. And um, I think the mayor and the MTC, is, uh, is, as well as others, have stepped up and, and really um, are making them feel accountable to uh, are making them accountable for what they have or have not been doing. So I can see once this thing is ironed out to the point that the management is held responsible for what they are doing, I think it's, it's going to be great for everyone. We're looking forward to it coming into Gaston County. Yeah. Um, basically to uh, relieve us on, on the interstate I-85. Uh, I, I was about to ask you, because I know Silver Line would likely um, really impact the folks there in G Gaston County. Um, do you want to see progress on the Silver Line and the development of it continue despite the current problems at CATS? Oh, yes. I definitely want to see the progress continue. I think it's a great thing. I had the opportunity to work in Charlotte-Mecklenburg County for 23 years as assistant fire marshal for the county. I, I've seen firsthand what it has done to the areas, the, the lines in, themselves going north and south, what it's done to the surrounding areas. So I think it's a great impact not only for getting people around, but it's for the development of some of those underserved, underserved uh, uh, areas in the city. So uh, yes, I'm definitely in favor. Uh, are, we talk about affordable housing here in Charlotte, Charlotte all the time and the housing shortage. Um, what about there in Gastonia? Um, what is the, the housing situation like there in Gastonia as far as finding people good quality affordable homes? Well, I think there's a problem um, throughout the nation now. Well, how do you define affordable housing? I mean, uh, that's the question. And basically, how can you get a developer to build homes that's adequate for the um, pay uh, ranges of those that will qualify as low income? Um, we have tried to work with developers to uh, involve lower, lower rent in an apartment complex just coming to the city. Um, those, some have been in agreement to do that, phasing them in together. 
I think that would be a great asset. But still, how do you define affordable housing? Uh, it, that's a that's a hard nut to crack. But we have put forth efforts to try to get that here in Gastonia and get developers to see the need to um, probably build build apartments that's going to fit into that category. Um, voters recently passing the $75 million bond package. Uh, in the first phase, a lot of it's going to go towards repairing roadways. How is the city balancing the, the need for road improvements with, with a push for, for walking accessibility for downtown businesses and things like that? Well, the city uh, it made me feel good. I see them out paving roads this morning on my way into City Hall and see them covering potholes. And um, we've seen the master plan for what they plan to do with the with the with the money that I'm glad that our citizens saw there was a need to approve this bond and and uh, which we're making efforts now um, for pedestrian friendly uh, walking paths, bike paths, and also to um, assist even the state with road repairs. That's something that we generally don't do um, to make things better for our, our citizens here in Gaston. And what else can we expect to look forward to as far as phase two uh, uh, of the project? Well, I think we're running on schedule. We started pretty much um, since the bond was approved in November. There's work going on right now. And I think the delay has been the weather. Uh, I mean, on any given day, you can't, you can't dictate whether we'll have a cold day, a rainy day. And I understand from the guys that's doing the work that that if they have good weather, they, it's, good, it's better for paving. So um, it just is, I'm elated to see that some of these things are happening and hopefully our citizens can see their our citizens can see their tax dollars at work already, and the vote has made a difference. Yeah, our meteorologists will take credit for that for that nice weather. Um, final question: uh, Where do you see Gastonia in ten years? Oh boy, you mentioned in ten years. I think we're going to see a different Gastonia in the next three to five years. Um, for the first time as elected official, which is this is my twenty-first year. I served sixteen years as a councilman. And, now I've been the mayor approximately six years. Um, it's so much. This is the first time I've seen development going on on the north, south, east, and west part of the city. When I talk about development, I'm talking about positive development that's going to affect a lot of people. So I'm giving it three to five. You mentioned ten, but in ten, I hope I'm around to see see the differences at that point. But I think we're going to see a major difference in the next three to five years here in Gastonia. All right, ambitious man. All right. Mayor, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Thanks for the invite. Take right. care. Take care. More Flashpoint All after right. this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. Despite a company marketing its safety technology as a way to create weapons-free zones, we've discovered the same body scanners you'll find at middle and high schools across Charlotte, Bank of America Stadium, and even Blumenthal Performing Arts Center are not foolproof. WCNC Charlotte's Nate Morbido discovered evolved technology did not disclose failed results, results to CMS until after the district had already spent millions on those scanners. The research firm that first got its hands on the results of this confidential field test believes the company has overpromised and created a false sense of security in the process. But Evolve maintains it has remained open with its customers, including CMS, about the technology's limitations. April 2022, Charlotte-Mecklenburg Schools produces this video, 
highlighting its new evolved body scanners. That process will be very seamless. They rely on artificial intelligence to quickly identify weapons while ignoring harmless personal items. We don't have to worry about a threat. The district even interviewed relieved students about the promise that comes with the touchless technology. I know that I'm not going to be threatened with any firearms, any knives. The truth is, neither the students nor CMS can say that with any certainty. After all, a field test just five months prior in Ohio found safety gaps. This confidential report, secured by WCNC's sister station in Columbus, shows while the scanners detected almost every gun, they missed one particular kind of gun on two walkthroughs, failed to detect about four out of every ten knives, and had mixed results for a certain type of pipe, which could be used in a bomb. Evolve has made it very clear that they can't be trusted. Connor Healy is with IPVM. The research company first obtained the test results through a public records request after the University of Southern Mississippi's National Center for Spectator Sports Safety and Security, or NCS4, mistakenly released the private document. The CEO has gone on the news and said that they recognize all weapons and it's patently false. We don't know whether the schools that buy Evolve are aware that that's false. Neither Evolve nor CMS would tell us specifically when the company made the district aware of the NCS4 findings. But by August 2022, four months after the school system first installed the technology in its high schools, CMS said it was aware of strengths and shortcomings based on discussions with Evolve, people who already had the systems, and the district's own implementation. Just months later, the Utica, New York school district removed its Evolve scanners after administrators said a knife got through. It's not a reliable system for detecting knives. Evolve changed its marketing language around the same time. Do you all feel like you've misled your customers? I hope we have not misled our customers. Anil Chikara is Evolve's chief growth officer and co-founder. I hope they are fully informed about what the system does and doesn't do. The worst case would be if they expected it to do something and it doesn't do it. He says the company is transparent with its customers, openly sharing the technology's limitations. It's very good it's not perfect because nothing's perfect. And providing access to the results of this test and others if customers ask to view the specific results. But the information is not shared with the general public since Evolve says that would be reckless. Do you regret the messaging early on? I think... We've talked about the system di differently over time. Words are impactful, and we want to make sure we're using the right words to explain the system. And so we're, we're doing that, and we're working to be better at that every day. Jill Lamont is Evolve's director of education. The former assistant superintendent worked in a Michigan district when a mass shooter killed four high school students. The Evolve system was the only way in which um, I felt comfortable bringing my staff and students back into that physical structure. Lamont and Chikara told us the company has improved its technology since the 2021 NCS4 test, successfully detecting 170,000 concealed guns and knives in all of 2022, calling the scanners an important layer in an overall security plan one that's dependent on the specific settings in use, circumstances, and security operations of a venue. CMS declined an on-camera interview. By email, the district said Evolve has always been forthcoming about their systems, adding it's confident that Evolve is proactively taking steps in improving their detection of weapons through their software upgrades since the time of the NCS4 report. 
Within their first month of use, the scanners found a loaded gun at one CMS high school. The data suggests the mere presence of body scanners has helped deter weapons too. The district has reported a huge drop in guns and other weapons found on campuses after the school system moved from random searches to body scanners. But what we don't know is how many, if any, guns or knives have come into schools undetected. Nate Morabito, WCNC Charlotte. And you might be wondering why we decided to share some of this information, some of the technology's flaws. Since these scanners are so widely used here and have cost CMS more than $16 million, we felt taxpayers deserve to know what they can and what they frankly can't do. Beyond that, the school district assures us it has multiple layers of security in place to protect students, teachers, and staff. More Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. Come interact with us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, you name it, we're there. And if there's something you want us to talk about here on Flashpoint, let us know. And as always, remember to listen and subscribe to our podcast. You can find it wherever you get yours. And we'll see you back here next weekend.